Well, I don't know about you and what films you like to watch, but as I was preparing for this particular talk this morning, my mind wandered to a film about an unlikely girl who ends up in a Miss America competition. Has anyone ever seen Miss Congeniality with Sandra Bullock? A few nods there, a few hands raised. It's a, it's a, it's a very funny film. I just want to uh, show you this very short 30-second clip uh, from this film. I would film. have to say world peace. Definitely world peace. That's easy. World peace. World peace. What is the one most important thing our society needs? That would be harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. And world peace. Thanks, Phil. Um, it's, a, it's a funny clip, but um, Sandra Bullock's character is very dismissive of the whole Miss America competition. Um, she ends up in it a bit by accident. You'll have to watch the film to see how. Um, and the candidates have to answer this question, what is the one thing our society most needs? And everyone says this answer, which Sandra Bullock thinks is terribly trite, which is world peace. Um, and she tries to come up with something a little bit more specific, um, but, but no one really gets it. Uh, she has to say world peace in the end. Um, and although a lot of fun is made of the answer that all these girls give um, to this question, it's true to some extent, isn't it? We all long for peace. Peace in our own lives and peace in our society. No one would argue that the world would be a better place if there were no more wars or fighting and if no one had any anxiety or worries anymore. But how do we get there? Is world peace a realistic aim? What does peace even look like? And that's what I want to think about today as we carry on looking at Isaiah's prophecy about the coming of the Lord Jesus. We are in the season of Advent and it is a time when we are preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus and his coming into the world. But as I shared last week, it's so easy to gloss over the Christmas readings as words that we have read many times before. But there is real substance in them about who Jesus is and what kind of king he would turn out to be. And last week we read from the well-known prophecy from Isaiah uh, chapter 9 verses 6 to 7 which is read at carol services and during Advent at churches across the world every Christmas. And we saw that Isaiah says that Jesus will be called by four different names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And we looked at Everlasting Father last week and today we're going to be thinking about what it means that Jesus will be called the Prince of Peace. We began to see last week that when Isaiah foretells the coming of the birth of Jesus, God is showing us so much more than this simple fact about Jesus' birth, still 700 years away at the time when the prophecy was given. But he's telling us something of the very nature of who Jesus will be, his character. And that's what I don't want us to miss this Christmas, is who is Jesus? Who would he be? Who is he to us today? 
So when we celebrate the nativity for the 20th, 30th, 50th time in our lives this year, let's look beyond the baby to the promised king who Jesus would become for us, who he is now, and what his presence means to us. So I'm just going to read that passage from Isaiah 9. I think the words are on the screen. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Peace is a word that we use a lot in church. In some traditions, the congregation breaks their service partway through to turn around to one another and to share the peace. They say, peace be with you to those sitting around them, and then you in turn reply, and also with you. But what does it mean to wish someone peace? What does it mean that God says Jesus will be called Prince of Peace? I want to suggest that there are three main areas where Jesus brings us peace. Firstly, he brings us peace. Peace in our personal lives. Secondly, he brings peace to our relationships. And thirdly, he brings us peace towards God. So what does it mean to have peace in our personal lives? Peace is something I think we all crave for ourselves. When we look at how peace is spoken of elsewhere in the Bible, we see three main ways in which people have peace in their own lives. It talks of being fulfilled, being well, and being free from anxiety. Peace means fulfillment. To be at peace is to live a life which is fulfilled, to get to the end of it and to be able to say that we have achieved all God planned for us. We see this in the lives of Abraham and King Josiah in the Old Testament. You can read about Abraham in Genesis 15 and King Josiah in 2 Kings 22. God says of Abraham, You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. And the same is said of King Josiah. Why did God say that? These were both men who did what was right in the sight of God. They listened to him. They did not worship idols as so many around them did. And they followed God's word. King Josiah humbled himself before God when he found the book of the law in the temple, which had been lost for a long time. And he realized that they had not been living as God had commanded them to. King Josiah had a repentant heart. He was convicted by what he read and he went to inquire of God via the priests in the temple. He was so sorry when he realized that the people had for years been living contrary to God's holy law. Jesus too lived a fulfilled life and he achieved all God had planned for him on earth. In John's Gospel, we read that Jesus said, He didn't come to do his own will, but the will of the Father in heaven. 
And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He knows peace in his life because he filled his life with all that God wanted. There are other verses as well you can read in the Gospels that Jesus says he only speaks the words that his Father gives him to speak. It might seem a bit of an unrealistic aim for us to literally only do what God wants in our lives, but what an aim to have. How at peace do we feel? Are we filling our lives with what God wants for them? Have we asked God lately if our lives are on the right track? Is there anything we need to be repentant of, to say sorry for? God is a merciful God and he knows that we don't get things right all the time and we take so many wrong turns along the way. But what he is interested in is the attitude of our hearts today. Do we really want to live a life that is pleasing to God? Do we trust that he knows best what's right for our lives? Sometimes we can be so proud, can't we? I know what's best for me. This is the path I need to take. But really, who are we to say what, who are we to decide that when the Almighty God, who is the same yesterday and today and forever, doesn't know better what's good for us? If we say we love God, then we should want that from our lives to fill them with God, what God wants, just as Jesus did. And it's a good practice just to take time, perhaps this Christmas time, but just weekly um, as you live your lives to be quiet and allow God to minister to us to show us how we're doing just ask that question you can do that whilst meditating on the bible God can speak to us so much through his word peace means living a fulfilled life being right with God Secondly, peace means well-being the word for peace is often translated as well in the bible It doesn't mean well in the sense of physical health, um, but it means being well in our souls, being at peace. We often sing that well-known song, when peace like a river attendeth my way in church. And And the chorus goes, it is well, it is well with my soul. And that song is not a song written by someone on the mountaintop of life for whom everything is going well. It is written by someone walking through a deep, dark valley. One of the verses says this, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. And this is where the songwriter gets right to the heart of the matter. What does he say brings him peace in the midst of this storm that is clearly raging around him? It's Jesus. The knowledge that Jesus shed his own blood for our souls. Whatever trials may come, whatever pain or grief I have to endure in my life, if I know that I am in Christ, that Jesus died for me and shed his blood for me on the cross, then I can say, should always be able to say, it is well with my soul. I know where I am going 
because I know what my Saviour has done for me. And I trust in a, in a God who is making all things new, who has a better plan for my life, who will bring about a world which we at this stage cannot even imagine. We can't even imagine, can we, a, a world of peace. But God knows It is well with my soul because I know what's coming, because I trust in a loving God. And we ask that question at the end of our life groups, for those of you who come along to life groups each week. We say at the end, um, when we're about to pray for one another, we ask, how is it with with your soul? Is it well with your soul? And it means are you at peace with God? Whether you are on the mountaintop or in the valley, do you know that Jesus is your saviour, that he has saved you, that you can have peace because he has adopted you and will remain with you forever? If we just go back to that verse in Isaiah, in verse 7, it says, The greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. There is no end to the peace that Jesus can bring you. It's not temporary. It's not like a ceasefire. It's enduring peace. And thirdly, peace in our personal lives means freedom from anxiety. Anxiety is a huge problem in our society today for children as well as for adults and It's always easy to say, isn't it? Was it really like that when I was a child? But I am just astounded by the number of my friend's children at the age of five, six, seven, eight who battle with anxiety. I find it incredibly worrying. I just don't remember it as a child, it being like that, but it just seems something which is so prevalent in our society. And there's plenty of it amongst adults as well. In 1 Samuel 1, we read the account of Hannah praying desperately before God for a child. From verse 10, I think the words are on the screen, it says this. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant but give her a son then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Hannah was a woman who came to God in deep distress. She was anxious because she longed desperately for a son. But she didn't stay that way. She laid out her troubles before God. She poured out her soul to him in prayer. And he ministered to her and he gave her peace. 
Hannah starts out praying in a state of deep distress, of anxiety, of worry. But she finishes and it says her face was no longer downcast. Something happens when we pray. God meets with us as we pour out our hearts to him. I cannot even begin to explain how that happens, but it happens. This is really similar to the instruction that Paul gives to the church um, in Philippi. It says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7, these words, which I'm sure you've heard before. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We can't understand it, can we, this process? We don't understand this peace. But we know, and I'm sure almost all of you could testify to this, that when you come to God and you were worried or you were in distress and you pray, either by yourself or with someone else, you finish that time of prayer feeling better. God doesn't want us to be anxious. He wants us to know peace and he can bring us that peace. When we're worried or anxious about something, God wants to know about it. He is interested in our sorrows and our troubles as much as he is concerned about us giving him thanks and praise when things have gone well. He wants desperately for us to come to him and to tell him about it. Just like you might do with a best friend or a partner or a parent, God wants us to come and to tell him. Sometimes new Christians, sometimes older Christians as well, ask me if it's okay to basically have a bit of a moan at God and to tell him all the things that we're frustrated or even angry about. Yes, is the answer. Yes, it's absolutely all right. In fact, it's so important to the flourishing of your soul. The Psalms are full of people, mostly David, laying out his woes to God. You know, he's, he's, he's complaining about being attacked on every side, both physically and spiritually, and he's hurting and he's tired. He's saying, where are you, God, a lot of the time? He's getting riled up with God. Now, ultimately, David always acknowledges that God is good, but he isn't afraid to tell him how hurt or scared or anxious, afraid or even angry he feels. Totally new to me when I went to the academy last month were the, and I always get this word wrong, I think it's the impecatory psalms. That's right, they're the cursing psalms. I'd never heard them called that. I'd never heard anyone speak on them. There are a section of psalms in the Bible that are basically cursing psalms. They are song, they are psalms of, again, mainly David, pouring out his heart to God, and he's really, really angry. But God wants us to come to him in our anger as much as in our rejoicing. It's so important. Come and lay your heart before God. 
I can't explain how it works, but I can only give testimony of my own experience that when I pray about things that are worrying me, about things that I'm frustrated or angry with, I always feel more at peace afterwards. There have been so many times when I have dragged Phil to sit down and pray when, when he's distressed, actually, and he gives testimony of this sometimes, and say, no, come on, we need to come and say to God, this isn't what you want for me. You say that you came to give me joy and give me joy to the full. Well, I do not feel very joyful. What's going on? Why do I feel like this, God? It's okay to have that kind of relationship with God. Because in the grand scheme of things, I am really, really small. And God is really, really big. And he has heard it all before, and he can cope with anything I have to bring him. If he knows our hearts, we were thinking last week about how he's our father, and he created us. He knows us. He knows every thought before it's in our mind, every word before it's spoken. What are we afraid that he's going to think when we say it out loud? He knows it anyway. But he wants us to acknowledge it before him. Because that's how a child should relate to their father. And when I come to him and pray, I am then reminded that when all is said and done, I am loved by a God who sent his son to die for me. Peace means freedom from anxiety. So the second area of our lives where Jesus brings us peace is in our relationships. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 18, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And this he writes in the context of how we treat our enemies. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He taught us to love our enemies to pray for those who persecute us. It is countercultural in so many ways, but that's how he tells us to live. We don't always see peace in our world or in our relationships right now because we still live in a really, really broken world. We don't yet see the full effects of what God has done for us in Jesus, but when he returns, we are assured In Revelation 21, those wonderful words, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Jesus brings us peace in our relationship. One day wars will cease and all men will live at peace with one another. That day might seem a really long way off, but the truth is we can know some measure of that peace in our relationships Right now, Jesus has already come. And again, just to to remind you of those verses in Isaiah 9 verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And this is talking about the coming of Jesus. Well, he's come already. He's with us now, isn't he? We can know his peace right now. How are we doing at loving our enemies? How are we doing at not fueling arguments and dissension with friends and family members or colleagues? I can't affect whether countries in the Middle East go to war against one another or whether racism continues in our cities. But I can affect how I treat my neighbour, how I treat my husband, how I treat my friends and my family. 
how I pray about those bigger issues which I can't personally affect. I can affect my own attitude. Jesus is concerned with with our hearts and how we respond to him in these things in his teaching. Jesus is the Prince of Peace and he gives us new life. He shows us a new and a different way to live, so let's live it. He is making all things new and that includes you and me. He can take our selfish, proud hearts and mould them with his love so that we too pursue peace in all that we do. And the final area then when we see the effect of the peace that Jesus brings is in our relationship towards God. Peace is the full realisation of God's favour. It is knowing that we are loved by God, that we are reconciled to him and therefore are at peace with him. Romans 8 verse 38 and 39 say this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in Romans 5 verse 1 it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God only comes through Jesus. It's only possible through Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Our union with God can only be restored through Jesus' blood. And we know that, don't we, that we were separated from God by our sin, stemming right back to the Garden of Eden. The only thing that can restore us to God is Jesus. But when we know Jesus, when we feel fully assured that we are reconciled to God because of what he has done for us, not because of anything we've done, nothing, we can do nothing to, to deserve it or to make it happen, but through Jesus, we can know that we are restored to God and that gives us ultimate peace. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says this, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The blood of Jesus is the key to peace. Without Jesus' pure, holy blood shed for us in our place on the cross, We cannot be united with God. God can have no fellowship with sin. And our lives are full of sin. But through the blood of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We are washed white as snow and our wounds are healed. And we can be united with our Heavenly Father. This is the ultimate peace. To be united with our Creator. And it only comes through faith in Jesus. It comes when we put our trust in him. So just to finish and to think about what those points mean for us. If you want to know peace this Christmas, then know Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He is the key to everything in our lives and he is the key to knowing peace. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, 
then why not welcome him into your life today and accept what he has done for you? Accept that he loves you, that he died for you, and he came to reunite you with your heavenly father. If you know Jesus, but you're struggling to say today, it is well with my soul, then come to him in prayer. He loves you, he knows you, and he wants to hear all that is on your heart. Lift your burdens to him. Lay down your worries and your anxieties and allow him to minister to you. Allow him to bring you healing for your soul. Let him bring you peace. Or perhaps you know Jesus but are struggling to find peace because you've not been living as he wants. Is there something you know you need to change, to stop, or perhaps to do? We find peace by living in obedience to God. A fulfilled life is one lived according to his will, and it is never too late to change. God is the God of second, tenth, one hundredth, one thousandth chances and more. His mercy knows no end, and he says that if we come and we say we are sorry, he's faithful to forgive us. There is freedom and peace in living God's way. We talked about that last week, didn't we, about a father. A father brings instruction to us. He sets us boundaries. There is peace to be had in living according to the will of our father. He loves us, and believe it or not, he knows best how to care for us and how to help us flourish. My life has not taken the path I imagined at all. Right now, according to my own plans for my life, I should have been, you know, appearing in the Court of Appeal, earning a lot of money, defending lots of criminals. But that's not where I am. I find that there is an incredible peace that comes from stepping out on a path that I never planned for myself, but felt God call me onto. It's really hard to do that sometimes, and it takes a lot of courage, but God is big enough to do that. He knows me better than I know myself, and I would not have my life any other way. Right now, I think, goodness, what I would have missed out on if I carried on according to my plans for my life, what did I know? God had so much more for me. He had riches to fill my life with that were a very different kind of riches to the ones I imagined. But nevertheless, they bring me joy and they bring me peace. And they are the things that I cling to in the tough times as well. If we know that we're doing what God wants for us, that will help us through the difficult times. If you're where he has put you, then he will protect you and sustain you. Trust him. Let him help you have a fulfilled life. Let him lead you his way and let him give you peace. I think it'd be good just to take some time now just to be quiet, to allow God to just speak to us. Just perhaps even just quietly where you are. Um, Just beginning to, to go through that process of just opening your heart to God, of telling him how you feel and just allow him to minister to you.